Thank you, band, for leading us today. I want to welcome those of you that maybe this is your first time checking out Elevate Church. I'm wrapping up a series called Uncaged Faith. And this whole um, series has been about increasing the faith that we have, really to, to greater things. I think as we settle down in life, we can often settle for less, for less than what God has for us, than, for less than, than what we were made for, what we were meant for, and so it's real easy to do that. So this series has been about really kind of um, bolstering our faith, increasing our faith, that we all have been given a measure of faith, but God wants us to increase it. Last week we talked about some practical ways to live it out so that the battles that we do face, we would exercise faith in the face of those battles instead of fear. That faith would be our default response, our default action whenever we're up against a challenge. Today I wanna to use a story found in the Old Testament, found in Daniel chapter three, if you have your Bible, turn there. And this story is really gonna help us, I believe as we close out this series. Here's, here's the story, and I wanna read the whole thing to you. So I want you to really kind of envision uh, what's happening in the moment. Just kind of let's sit in God's text for a moment. It says this, And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We're talking about these three Hebrew boys uh, that were um, held hostage, taken captive out of Israel into the nation of, of Babylon. And this is during the time uh, when, when Nebuchadnezzar was the king over this empire. And he says, is it true, you guys, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this, this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. Don't miss that. He's able to save us, and he will, in fact, rescue us from your hand, O king, but even if he doesn't. That's, that's an uncaged kind of faith. That even if he doesn't do it, we want you to know that we will never serve you. We'll never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and he commanded some of the strongest guys in his army to tie them up, to, to bound them up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were then thrown into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes. Can I just say real quick, that's a lot of outfit going on right there. I'm not sure what other clothes they could have possibly uh, had on, but that's just a lot. They were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace. It, it killed those guys. And so these three men firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, don't miss this, weren't there three? Didn't we just tie up three guys and put them in the flames? Look, he said, I see four. I see four walking around in that fire, unbound and unharmed, and don't miss this, the fourth looks like a son of the gods. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Look how his attitude changed. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not even harmed their bodies. Not a hair on their head was, was singed their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any God except their own. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that today this story would, would bolster our faith. God, that we would understand better what you are able to do and who you are through the story of these three Hebrew boys that found themselves in the middle of uh, the greatest test of their faith. And so God, I pray that you would, as we open up your word, speak directly to our hearts and let it come alive in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, Dave, for shading with the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, all that stuff. In this story, um, that's probably familiar to many of you. It's about a king uh, who ruled in 600 BC. He was the king of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire had pulled a, an Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar, you could say, and ruled the entire known world at the time. I mean, it was, they were the nation that conquered all other nations. And this king had the habit of going into a nation, conquering it, and then pulling out of that nation kind of the best and the brightest to serve him in his court. And so he, he pulled out, a lot of the times, these young men, like teenage boys, who would be the, the brightest and, and take them uh, to serve in his city. It would be like if, if he conquered America today, he would go to MIT and Yale and Harvard and Fort LaBeouf, shout out Bisons, and pull the best and the brightest, come on, and force them, right, to work. I'm just, I'm a bison, what can I say? And force them to, to work in his court. And so what he would do is he'd take them out and then he would change their names because we read those names like eight different times. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their, their given names. They were Hebrew boys who had names uh, that, that kind of reflected the names they were given as followers of the true God. But these names were, were names that paid homage to the Babylonian gods, the false gods. And so he'd pull them out and force them to you know, kind of be brought up in his service. Now here's what we know of these three boys and their friend Daniel, who by the way is the author of this book, is, is how they chose to respond to uh, their time living in Babylon. And it's the same way that you and I should approach our lives and the way that we live on this world. That is to say that they were in the world but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that before, but Jesus asks us to be in the world but not of the world. Now that's easy to say, but the struggle is real, right? Like why is it so hard for us to, to live this way, to live in the world, but not be of the world? Because while we might not be bowing down to 70 foot statues made of gold, we are worshiping other gods. I want you to know that. We're worshiping gods of, of power and position, uh, possession. We're worshiping you know, gods of a pluralistic worldview. We're worshiping the gods of sports or the gods of sports leagues. And so I would submit that it's not that different between today and between Shadrach and Meshach, what they were brought up in. 
that we are today living in the midst of our own kind of, of Babylon, so we have to learn how to be in the world, right, but not of the world. And that means that there are two mistakes that we must not make, two mistakes uh, that we learn from these guys and how to live out our faith and be in the world but not of the world. The first mistake, if you wanna jot it down, is isolation. And this is what a lot of people do, by the way. A lot of Christians wanna pretend like they're living in their own Christian bubble, like the, the big, bad, evil world can't touch them, that the world is nasty and evil and has cooties on it, and so you don't wanna get anywhere near it. And so what people choose to do, some people, not a lot of people, but some people choose to you know, build bunkers 20 feet underground and, and have enough rations you know, to survive a nuclear fallout because they don't wanna isolate themselves from everything else. They don't want the world to touch them at all, but isolation really is not the answer. The problem with isolation is that you end up bringing your own sin with you into that bunker 20 you know, feet under the ground because we all have sin. You're just bringing it with you in your heart. In fact, in the attempt to isolate yourself and not be a part of the world, a lot of times people you know, say, I don't wanna defile myself with the sins of the world, yet you are now um, have the most sinister of all sins and that is pride that's inside of your heart and inside of your life. It's pride, smugness, it's this attitude of religious elitism that I'm better and you know, higher than anyone else. So that's isolation. And not to mention the fact that you cannot reach a world that you've abandoned. Like Jesus never called us to abandon the world that we live in. Like you cannot reach a world that you refuse to touch, that you refuse to be a part of. So isolation really is not the answer. The other mistake that people often make is imitation then. And they say, because we don't wanna isolate ourselves, we might as well do what everyone else is doing. You know, we might as well look like everyone else and live like everyone else. And so therefore, a lot of people, uh, because we're afraid to offend anyone, right, we don't stand up for anything. And so we, are, we have nothing to offer anyone else because we become identical to everyone else. So we're just, we're looking like everyone, doing what everyone else is doing. But God's called us to be different. Followers of Jesus, we are meant to be different people. We're meant to love different, to, to live different, to have a different set of values, to have a different moral compass, right, that's leading us and guiding us. So isolation really is not the answer either. So imitation and isolation, those are both equal uh, mistakes, but what we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do that was so wise is exactly what you and I need to do, and that is not choose either. This is the tension that we all face because at any given moment, we could be pulled to one direction or the other to isolate ourselves or to imitate everyone else. Uh, and maybe even in the same day, you could be pulled in both directions. Same day at school that you wanna isolate, you don't wanna be a part of that, but yet you still wanna fit in or in the workplace that you're in that we all catch ourselves, right, wanting to either isolate or imitate. So what should we do? Here's the answer, and that is to infiltrate. That's what these guys did. They said infiltration, that's the goal, that's the right approach. Not, we're not gonna isolate from the world, we are going to be a light to the world, come on, right? We're not gonna imitate the world, that we are gonna infiltrate the world with the love of God, and that's what we see with these guys, that we can be in it without being of it so that we can bring something to it. And if you can be in it without being of it and bring something to it, then you can build change, then you can, you can share love, then you're not afraid to reach out into the brokenness of our city. In fact, that's why Serve Day for us is such a big deal. Uh, if you don't have it on your calendar, you should, but on July 13th, uh, we, we, this is an all play. 
We do what many churches, you know, try to do, and that is to love their cities, you know, that they are in. And so we want to go out and because we care about the neighborhoods, we care about, you know, the, the community, we care about the schools, we care about the blood bank in our city having enough blood and able to respond in emergencies. So we bring the blood bank in on that weekend. I know a lot of you don't like needles, but we bring it in anyway because we want to give our blood so they can respond. In fact, we're just following in the footsteps of the original blood donor, come on somebody, Jesus, right? Who hung on the cross and shed his blood for us. So let's, let's like give back, that's, that's really our heart. I don't know if you realize this, but this is a get your hands dirty kind of church, all right? Where we wanna go out. We're not avoiding the brokenness in the city. We're not avoiding that, that we want to reach out into the world to be in the world, but not of the world. And we're not out, by the way, to create some weird Christian subculture where it's just Christian this and Christian, Christian that. No, we want to be the Christians in the arena of politics, in the arena of government, in the arena of sports and athletics so that, right, we can do what Jesus called us to do, which was serve and love and give. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are models of this. How we should serve and love and have influence in a very difficult climate, in a very challenging environment that they are in. These guys had every right to respond negatively to their situation. They could have said, this is terrible. Here we are in captivity. Here we are being held hostage, right, against our will. But that's not what they said. They chose to respond differently. They chose to, to instead say, all right, so here we are. What can we do? How can we help? How can we have influence? See, many people focus on what's been taken away from them. Like, but we should always be focusing on what can never be taken away from us. And that's what they decided to do. That you can take us out of Israel, but you can't take the God of Israel out of us. But guys, look, like you're, you're, in, you're a hostage. You know, you're a slave to this, this terrible king. What are you going to do now? And they just determine the best job that we can do. We're just gonna do the best that we can do with where we are. So that's what they did. And that was a great plan until it wasn't. Until one day, they were faced with the reality that if they wanted to be a citizen of Babylon, they would have to bow. They would have to bow to a, a false god because the king came up with this, this crazy idea. In fact, it was kind of born out of some others that wanted to eliminate these guys. But how, how, how do some of you know that, that, that what the enemy wants to eliminate you, God uses to elevate you, and that's what God ultimately did uh, in this situation? But he came up with this idea, you have to bow to this golden statue, and if you don't, you're going to face the fire. So they were at a crossroads. They were at a crossroads with the, the greatest test of their faith. We said earlier in this series that a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And this is the greatest test of faith that they have, have had. So they are face to face with going into the fire. And while their goal in this, in this living in this culture is infiltration, to worship this false god would be imitation. To worship this false god, uh, they cannot do. They said, we cannot bow. Now, I've read this story so many times, and I've always thought in my mind, like, why not just bow, but not bow in your heart? Anybody ever think that? Like, why not just kind of, all right, play along. Just go ahead and bow, but don't bow in your heart. Here's why. Because what was written across their heart from infancy was this right here. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Like this is the way they were raised. As Hebrews, as, as young Israelites, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol on the form of anything on heaven above or earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them. So here they are at this, this place where they had to choose. Do we exalt God or do we bow to man? And when push came to shove, they did what we should do. They responded, King, with all due respect, we cannot bow. Like, we'll serve you. We'll be the best employees we possibly can be. But with this, we cannot do. And the king said, if you don't do it, you're dead. And then they said, but our faith in God is worth dying for. Come on, that's, that, can't we celebrate that kind of faith? A faith that's worth dying for? A faith for the fire? In fact, uh, the title of this message would be A Faith for the Fire. A faith in the face of, of the fire. The fire, which was an 1800 degree um, oven, by the way, that was used to bake bricks. And they said, respectfully, king, we can't bow, so you're going to have to show us the way to the fire. We're gonna have to dive in. So the question for us today to wrestle with is how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we have that kind of faith, where we have this Mount Everest kind of faith? It's been said that if you see a guy on the top of a mountain, he didn't fall up there. Like, that's not how we got there. And I think a lot of times we can read a story like this and think, man, that's such great faith, that God gave him faith in that, that moment that perhaps he just fell up to there and had that kind of faith and hope that maybe we can too, but that's not the way it happened. That I, I don't think they arrived at this place by accident. You don't fall up a mountain. You don't accidentally one day have this kind of, of faith to face a fire. You don't have this kind of guts, this kind of steel really in your spine that thousands of years later, you know, because of, of what you did, people would be stirred to faith by your story. So how did they get there? There's a few things I see in this text I want you to jot down. And the first is this, that they were faithful in the small. They were faithful in the small. In other words, they had this pattern of discipline, this pattern of daily devotion in their life. Like long before saying we'll go to the fire, long before jumping in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this consistent day-by-day faith, this, this being faithful in the small decisions in their life. Because it's great, right, to talk about a faith in the, the face of you know, bowing down to a 70-foot idol and, and would you be willing to die for God? And a lot of us would think, I wouldn't bow either. I would die for God. Okay, that's great. But will you live for him daily? Colby, you didn't, you didn't hear what I said. I would be willing to die for God. Okay, but at work tomorrow, will you live for him? Will you live for him? Like when you're like channel surfing or, or looking through Netflix to decide what you're going to watch, what will you bring into your heart and your mind? Will you daily make these decisions that are living for God? See, chances are God's not gonna ask any of us in this room to die for him. Probably, maybe, but probably not. But he is asking every single one of us to live for him. Will you live for him? Like daily, that's, that's the question. That's what we see in their life. It's this consistent pattern of deciding that they are gonna be faithful in the small things. Colby, you're just reading that into the text. I'm not. That's actually part of the backstory. If you go ahead and read Daniel 1 this week, this is where it all begins. It started with them being faithful in the small with, with carrot sticks and celery, like the side that you get at Buffalo Wild Wings. That's, what, that's how it started right here. Like first day on the job, 
Like they, they were pulled uh, by per, their supervisor, whoever, and said, hey, welcome to the, you know, the apprenticeship program for the king slash brainwashing program for the king. You know, here's your new names. Here's what you're going to read. Here's what you're going to wear, cut their hair, all that kind of stuff. Here's what you're going to eat. And they said, hold up. We can't eat that. There are some things that we're allowed to eat. There's some things that we're not allowed to eat. And in this, this amazing uh, conversation, this great moment, they, were, they had this idea. They're like, hey, uh, to the supervisor, and it was really diplomatic the way they did it. They said, hey, could you just maybe do a test? Let's just do a test run. This is Daniel. He said, can we do a, a test run? And why don't for the next 10 days, you just feed us like carrot sticks and celery. You just feed us ants on a log. Come on, somebody, ants on a log for the next 10 days and see if we're not healthier than everyone else. And if it doesn't work, then okay, you know, we'll figure something else out. I just, they, they kind of, the way they framed it was awesome. And, and the supervisor's like, all right, we can see, you know, we'll, we'll do that. And so for 10 days, you know, they just ate veggies. And by the end of the 10 days, they looked better. They were healthier. They were fitter, you know, than the other people who are getting the, the good stuff from the king's table. But all I want you to see is that they drew a line in the sand. And they said, this is something that, that we're, we are going to, to do, and this is something that we're not going to do. They were faithful in the small things. So how do you have this, this amazing kind of faith one day? It starts in the small decisions that you pre-decide, that you pre-make day by day to the point where now they're faced with this moment of being thrown into the fire, into this furnace that's heated seven times hotter and they said, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crank it up if you don't bow. And they said, all due respect, we're still not going to bow because we pre-decided a long time ago, don't miss this, they were saying, we have abandoned our ability to bow. We abandon it. Like it's not even an option for us to bow. Some of you need to pre-decide the things that you will bow to and the things that you're not going to bow to in your life. You need to determine before the flames get cranked up, before it gets too hot, before you're in the situation where you decide what you have to do sexually when you're on a date where you'd say, should I, should I not? You pre-decide what you're going to bow to. Before you're in the theater deciding what you're going to watch and allow into your mind and into your heart, you pre-decide what you are going to bow to. They abandon their ability to bow. They said, we're not going to do it. For all the college students, Hey, before you get to school, you pre-decide who you're going to be and what you are going to, to bow to. Like you choose what kind of husband you're gonna be one day, what kind of father, what kind of mother, what kind of you know, brother you are going to be, what kind of coworker and employee you're going to be, who you are and what you are going to bow to. They abandoned their ability to bow and because they were faithful in the small, they could be faith-filled in the fire. And the same goes for you as well. And you pre-decide who you're going to be, what you're going to stand for. What, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do any shady business deals. I'm not gonna do anything outside of the law or, or illegal. You pre-decide so you can be faith-filled the moment that you need it. That's the first thing I see. The second thing I see, jot it down, is that they feared God more than the fire. They had this holy fear of God more than they feared the fire. Why is that? It's, I believe, because they knew who God was. See, part of the, the beautiful thing about the Bible is we get a little picture of chronology because the book of Isaiah was written before the book of Daniel, which means Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have had access 
to what Isaiah wrote when he said this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you, don't miss it, walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Like they had access to that. This is the way they were brought up. This is the kind of worship that was written on their hearts from an early age. In fact, Isaiah also wrote about an encounter he had with God where he said, woe is me, I am undone because of how awesome and great God is. These boys had a holy fear for God. They revered God. And it wasn't just a a small detail in their life. It was the major theme of their life. For some of us, it's a small detail. Our fear of God. Maybe it's something we, you know, do on the weekends or or do here and there. But this wasn't a, a part of it. This was all of it. That they had this holy fear of God. And can I tell you something? When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. When you fear God more than anything, you don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear situations. You don't have to fear presidents. You don't have to fear kings or queens or whatever. When you have this holy fear of God, they did. And I think that that helped them to have faith in the fire. Here's the, the third thing that I see is that they spoke faith over the fire. Write that down. That they spoke faith into that fire. Now here's the quick warning, however. Because God, in this circumstance, chose to glorify himself by bringing them out of the fire. But God doesn't always work that way. He doesn't always work the same way every single time. In fact, what I've learned in, uh, in my life and from God's word is that God can either deliver you from the furnace or he can deliver you through the furnace. Either way, it's, it's deliverance. What do you mean, uh, Colby? It means sometimes God will call you out of that circumstance and he'll rescue you from it, he'll deliver you that way. Other times, he'll allow you to stay in it. And that will deliver you too. It will deliver you that way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that was a possibility. They didn't know going into it how God would rescue them. They knew God would rescue them. In fact, look what, look what it says in verse 17. Again, they mentioned it three times. First, they say, God is able, the God we serve is able. Like he's able to do it. God could snap his fingers in an instant and and rescue us. He could snap his fingers and the flame would go out. Then they said this, he will rescue us from your hand. They had confidence in what God would do. But even if he doesn't, there's a third thing they said in verse 18. But even if he doesn't, if we could learn to speak these three things over our lives, over our situations and hold on to them, that God is able that you serve a God that is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, that our God is able and that God will? That's the next thing they said, right? He will rescue us from your hand. They were saying, see, we don't know, King, how he's going to do it. We don't, we don't know uh, what it's going to look like, but God has been faithful in the past, and the best uh, predictor of his faithfulness in the future is how he's been faithful to us in the past, how he's rescued us in the past, so he will rescue us and the king's got to be like boys your facts are backwards you got the facts all mixed up I'm going to crank the fire up seven times hotter but they were saying yeah you don't know though who our God is and the fact is this your facts uh, don't measure up to our faith some of you you need to look that that circumstance you need to look that fire that that you're faced with in the eyes and you need to introduce them to your faith and say that the faith that I have is bigger than this fire. The faith that I have is in God. 
who is able, and he will rescue. You speak faith over it. And the third thing that they said, I love this, but even if he doesn't, that's, that's an uncaged kind of faith. What they were saying was, even if he doesn't, king, either way, we win. All we do is win, win. Like, that's what we do. We just win. We win. Whether he delivers us out of it and we're set free, we win. But even if he doesn't and we die in it, we still win. Like, why? Because immediately they would be transported to heaven where there's no more sadness, there's no more sickness, there's no more guilt, there's no more shame, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. They would be in the presence of God forever. So they say, all we do is win. Either way, because we are on the winning team. See, a lot of times our faith is, is built on what God could do, what God can do. An uncaged kind of faith is built on, but even if he doesn't. Like we don't, we still have faith. We still believe what God's going to do. So they spoke faith over their fires. Here's the, here's the fourth thing that I see. And that is that freedom follows the fire. They understood this that freedom was on the other side of the fire. As I, as I read through the story, what amazes me is that these guys were actually better off after the fire than they were before the fire. That the fire they walked through was a gift. Now I'm sure they didn't see it that way as they you know, were forced to bow or asked to bow and refused to bow and, and felt the, the heat of the furnace you know, as they opened the door. I'm sure they didn't see it as a gift in the moment, but the, by the time it was over, they were better off. Why? Because before they were thrown in the fire, in fact, look at it with me uh, in the text again. Before they were thrown in the fire, verse 21 says that they were bound. They were bound, they were tied together, uh, they were tied up by the strongest men that Nebuchadnezzar could find, by the way. They were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And then verse 25 says, uh, look, I see four men walking around in the fire and they are, what's that word? Unbound. So before going to the fire, they were bound. After coming out, they were unbound. Tied up going in, untied, unharmed, coming out. How many of you know sometimes the only way to your freedom is through the fire? The only way to you experiencing freedom in your life. Sometimes God has you in that situation so that what has you tied up can be burned up. So it can be burned off of you. That, that we find freedom on the other side of it. And maybe you have things that you're tied up to in your heart. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an unhealthy dependency. There are things that we have that, are, that tie us up in our, in our lives and in our heart. And going into a fire helps to burn away what has you bound. Oh, that's good. Come on, say that again, Colby. All right, I will. Going into a fire helps to burn away what has you bound. Helps to strip away that very thing that is keeping you from experiencing the freedom that God has for you. I know it's hot. And I know it hurts. But sometimes it's through the fire that we find Freedom. This is what Peter was talking about, this kind of purifying when he said, in this, now you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Not like a, a golf clap kind of rejoice, but like a shout, like a hands held high, you know, that kind of rejoicing. How? Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. So that you can, you can rejoice, this great rejoice in your, your grieving. And a, a lot of times our response is, how do I do that? How do I look at this grieving as a gift? 
How do I see this, this thing that I'm going through as something I can rejoice in? Why? Is what it said. Here's the result. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the only thing that comes out of a fire is purified. The only thing that comes out of a fire is, is refined. Pure gold comes in or, or gold goes in, but pure, the purest of gold comes out. So I just wanna encourage somebody, don't fight the fire that you're in. It could be that God has you in the fire in order to, to burn off anything that, that has you bound, in order so that the flames will, will, will burn away the things that are in your life. So just be encouraged. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the end of the story, they were actually promoted to a higher level. The, the backstory is that there were guys that orchestrated this whole kind of bowing thing in order to eliminate them, to get rid of them. But God used this thing to, to propel them to a different level, a different position. Now, I'm sure in the middle of it, you know, they weren't um, like, like feeling like this was a promotion for them. That they felt like they were going to die, but the end result was stronger. The end result was more reliant, more dependent upon God. I just want to tell somebody that it could be that even if the flames are getting cranked seven times hotter, it's because God wants to make you seven times stronger. That because the flames are seven times hotter in your life, maybe God wants you to be seven times the father that you are, seven times the husband that you are, seven times the worker that you are. So don't be afraid of, of the fire. It could be the fire is what's going to ultimately set you free. Here's the, here's the last thing I want the band to come on out. And really, I, I spent this whole message to get to this last point. So you just sat here for this one last thing right here. And I want you to write this down. And that is you are not alone in the fire. Like you need to know that. That you're not alone in this. See what I love about the story is that it describes how these guys came out of the fire. And it says things like they weren't, they weren't burned, not a, a hair on their head was singed, that, that they didn't even smell like smoke. Don't you love that? There's something beautiful about that, by the way. They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like the trial they went through. For some of us, the enemy wants you to smell like what it is that you've gone through. But you don't have to walk through that fire and even, even smell like, look like, that trial that you went through. God doesn't want you carrying that with you. He's got better plans for you. And going through that fire, you don't, you don't have to hold on to that and carry that baggage that you went in there with. But what I love about this is they were unharmed. They were unscathed. They weren't burned at all, singed at all, not because of what they walked through, but because of who they walked with had nothing to do with what they were walking through, had everything to do with who they were walking with. Who are you walking with in that, in that fire that you're facing? Look at, look at the verse again one more time, verse 25. King Nebuchadnezzar shouted, look, I see four guys walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like what? A son of the gods. You know who that is? That's Jesus. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. This is called a Christophany in theological terms. But the reason they could walk through the fire, walk through what they walked through, was not anything to do with where they were walking, had everything to do with who was walking beside them. What I love about this story so much is that Daniel 3 
points us to Jesus. Not just because Jesus was there in the fire, I believe that's who it was, standing with them in the fire, but because Jesus, when he went to the cross, absorbed the heat for us, took, took our pain, took our, our sin, took everything upon him that he stood in the fire for me and for you. See, at the end of the story that we read, three walk in, four are in there, three come out. Jesus didn't come out. That other in the fire didn't come out. You know why? Because he had some unfinished business. There was another fire that he was gonna stand in, and it was the fire that he stood in for me, and it's a fire that he stood in for you when he went to the cross. This really is a picture of the gospel, that Jesus was willing to take on the heat, to take on the flame, so that you and I would not have to. When he died, was crucified and buried, he took on that for me and for you. And I wonder if some of you today, you need to place your faith in Jesus. You need to realize that he went into the fire for you. That you've yet to call him Lord and savior of your life. You've yet to, to allow him to pay for your sins on the cross. And the worst thing in the world would be to pay for something that he's already paid for. And so maybe today this is why you're here because you realize for the first time that Jesus stood in that fire for you, he'll stand in that fire with you. If you surrender your life to him, in fact, would you bow your head, close your eyes. All around this room, I wanna give you a chance to do that right now. But before we get there, maybe there are those of you that are followers of Jesus that you are facing a fire. You just need to be reminded there's another in there with you, that Jesus walks through that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. As long as you fear God more than anything else, it can't touch you. But if you're faithful in the small things in your life, it will give you the ability to be faith-filled in the face of the fire. You need to understand that maybe this battle that you're in, God has you there because there's freedom on the other side of it. That what has you bound right now will be burned off by the fire that you're walking through. And you need to speak faith into it, that God is able, that God will rescue you, that even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, you'll never bow. Some of you need to abandon your ability to bow. You need to pre-decide today what you will bow to in your life and what you won't bow to in your life. But I wanna give those of you a chance this morning that have never allow Jesus to stand in the fire for them, have never surrendered their life to follow him. To do that, the way we do that is through prayer. We confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved in that moment. And so I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that. If you, maybe you prayed that prayer a long time ago, but you are so far from where God has you, or you know what God wants for you. Or maybe you've never done that. I wanna lead you in that prayer. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that, I'm gonna pray right along with you. No one's looking around, every head bowed, eye closed. Would you right now just boldly raise your hand and say, I'm gonna to confess today that Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna let him walk through the fire on my behalf to pay for my sins. I know he went to the cross for me and saves me. And so that's why I'm here. Awesome, God bless all of you. You can put your hands down. Just say something like this in your heart. You can whisper it and you can say it out loud. Just say, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for walking through the fire for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I repent 
and I choose now to, to follow you. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, I give you my whole life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.